Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes back Suzanne Anderson, a psychologist, executive leadership coach, international speaker, and co author of the award winning book, The Way of the Mysterious Woman. And the ladies will be discussing how women can move their challenges and triggers as evolutionary forces, encouraging their growth, awakening their deep dream within, and pointing them toward their purpose. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. You can find those at 1150kknw.com. Or if you're more of a podcast person like I am, you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One and I think pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Is that right, Benny? I just, did I get all the platforms right? I always wonder if I'm remembering part, Yeah, for the most part. There's quite a few, but well, you got it covered. Okay, awesome. Um, and you can find out more about my me by visiting my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. And a quick check in with Benny. How is it in Seattle, Oh, it's doing very well. You are on the air, so is the sunshine in the sky. So, you know, it's sweeping across the nation as we speak. Oh, well, now, has the sun come back to Seattle yet, or is it still February feeling, even though it's it's, only another day? We've had a great week. It might cloud up this weekend, but not a big deal. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I look forward to checking in with you next week on Uh First Friday with Alessandra. Yeah, 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 yeah. More Benny inside information at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I will uh, point this out real fast. You had an uh, earlier post this week on uh, your little Action Jackson making an amazing, uh, uh, I guess I should say, picture or selfie, which was adorable, by the way. If you guys haven't seen it, you got to check out Sonny's page. He uh, had a rough morning there, it looked like. <laughs> yes, this is regular. He is, uh, I told Benny, it's either in full speed ahead mode yeah. or face plant mode. He does not have any in between gears. I believe your quote, you're, you were quoted as climbing the drapes <laughs> or yeah, exactly. face down on the couch, right? <laughs> Yeah, so it's either feel go free or... to find me on Facebook to see this photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's either a go or no go. Yes, no or no go. <laughs> and Benny, I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. Um, uh, is that on my end or? I think it might be our guest's uh, oh, computer. It might well, be just me... turned up a little bit too much, but we can work okay. on that. Well, let's go ahead and I will mm-hmm. read her intro and then we can get her on and figure out all the sound issues. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So I'm really excited to welcome back to Sunny in Seattle, Suzanne Anderson. Um, of course, she was on the show about a year ago mm-hmm. and um, will be coming. Um, of course, she is in the Seattle area, but she will be doing a, a two two days of events, um, an evening and a day long workshop at East West Bookshop coming up here in April. Um, and so we'll be talking a little bit about um you know her work and uh what will be happening at those workshops as well as all of the things she's been doing her writing mm-hmm. since she was last on the show because we've had some developments so um just by way of background Suzanne is a psychologist and executive leadership coach, international speaker, and co-author of the award-winning book, The Way of the Mysterious Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. And of course, that was the main topic of our show 
uh, last year because that book had just come out. Um, so just before the publication of her book, Suzanne's husband uh, committed suicide. And in her journey through the alchemical fire of brutal loss, Suzanne discovered that the most radical thing we can do in the midst of personal and professional challenges is to stay fully present using all of our feminine and masculine strengths. Having experienced firsthand how the way of the mysterious woman held up profoundly, cemented her commitment to making this pathway available to as many women as possible. Her work is dedicated to awakening women to their full potential so that they can help to shape a positive world for all beings. The website to find out more and connect with Suzanne is mysterialwoman.com, and I'll spell mysterial for you, M-Y-S-T-E-R. I-A-L, MysterialWoman.com. Suzanne, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you, Sunny. It's great to be back with you. Yes, I was really excited. Um, you know, when you reached out and I was uh, realized that you were going to be doing a, an event at East West and we were uh, going back on, or you had presented some topics of conversation, I thought, oh man, this is timely. This is awesome. <laughs> we need to be talking about these things. So I'm very excited for our conversation. Great, thank you. Actually, I was listening uh, recently to the, I just went back to hear our conversation of a year ago in January. And uh, and I recalled from that, just listening to it again, I, I really loved the conversation with you. Um, I think there was a way that you were holding a particular listening or the questions that you asked that um, I found the, the things I was saying or what kind of came out between us to be actually really juicy. So this, this is... Uh, this is great. I look forward to this diving in together again. Yes, and I, I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot, and thank you so much. Um, so I want to, I was actually going back through The Mysterial Woman um, before the show, and I, I, I wanted to just start really with your background and your story, because you had, before all of this ever happened, you had a powerful experience of spiritual awakening while vacationing in Bali. Um, and you ended up leaving some really lucrative consulting work to find out what it meant to be the midwife or a midwife to the reemergence of the deep feminine on earth. Can you tell us a little bit about what was happening in your life before the Mysterial Woman and the years of research that you did leading up to that? Yeah, and actually I think that's a great place to start because there were two key, what I call, kind of catalytic events. And in some ways I could say both of them happened to me. They weren't things I went to look for. One I call more the catalytic light event that you're referencing in Bali, and then one the more catalytic dark event that uh, happened when my, when my husband died. But um, right before the end, maybe sort of concurrent with the first event in Bali, which I think I should reference again to sort of set up where we go um, with the more difficult uh, activation. Um, I was a leadership consultant, management consultant. This was late 90s. And uh, in my work in that time, I was, you know, weren't that many women that were actually working. It was the time when the great mega corporate patterns were being challenged basically that no longer was working mm -hmm. and and so consultants like me and management consulting firms like ours were helping big organizations like the big fortune 100 companies start to look at organizational structure differently leadership differently different than the more command and control or we can call now maybe patriarchal model of leadership which was very effective for a long time but but was no longer uh, able to, you know, wasn't nimble enough in a marketplace that was changing very fast. 
Um, so I was based, I was actually, I'm Canadian. I was at the time based in Toronto, but I, I ended up in, in Europe uh, running the, uh, the Paris, the European office of our firm. And, and was encountering again and again and again the, the few women that were at the senior leadership levels that I was working with uh, were the most stuck in some ways. Um, and we, you and I talked a bit about this last time. Um, they, I, I think I, I naively expected them to be really open to my coming in and saying, hey, you know, emotional intelligence matters, the heart matters, mm. with your team matters, sharing power matters using your intuition matters, you know, that we're creating these new structures that are no longer so, uh, you know, no longer based on just power over, but actually they were, they were deeply resistant and, um, and, and, and yet, um, and yet suffering. So it wasn't like they were, it was, they were resistant to the change that I was there to bring, but also really suffering and the suffering would come out in with me later in more intimate conversations. Um, not in the group sessions, mm -hmm. but for some reason, even though they'd have the insight about, you know, I, I can see why this might be a good idea or these new ways might be helpful or here's what I see. They just couldn't translate it into, into behaviors back in the organization. That was super puzzling for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it had me sort of realize there is a gap here. Like what is going on that they can't, women can't make this transition. I didn't really know what was going on, but if I could just say that was the, the work I was doing. I was also teaching at INSEAD, which is a business school in France. It's kind of the elite business school. And, you know, I, I, I would say in terms of leadership and understanding leadership and, the, and the, the, um, the, the challenges of leadership at the time, I really knew a lot intellectually. You know, I was a good consultant, but there was this gap between what I knew and understood and what, let's say, we all knew and understood about leadership held inside a more masculine model and what women actually needed now. So that was the first piece. Do you want to add anything before I go? Oh, no, please keep going. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that kind of set me up in one way. I was in the question. I was actually doing a lot of talking to other consultants about it and journaling about it and trying to sort of see if I could... Uh, figure out how to help women step in to a leadership style that it, I thought was going to be more congruent for women. Um, but at the same time, then I had the experience in Bali. And and this was being in, um, I, I'd done a, I'd gone over to be with my sister, actually, who lived there, lived in Java. And we um, went on a a cleanse. I took her to, to Bali. We went together to Bali, but I brought all these cleansing products from Canada. You know, these are the fasting where you go on a fast for seven days and you have all these little potions and uh, packaged uh, proteins and whatever. I don't remember what they were. Um, so you, we got into quite a state, uh, a high state, of just this sort of clearing out all the toxins from our bodies. And, and at one point I was meditating. So that after maybe five or six days, um, in a little cottage we were renting, and and I fell into the only way I can say it because it, it wasn't something I I did per se. I literally fell into a sort of a state of bliss, and it was and I'd been meditating for many years, and I'd had a spiritual path for many years, but it was definitely more masculine oriented around a, a leadership, a, a guru figure. 
um, this was much more of a surrender and and being just blessed, I will say, by a sense of union with with all that is, all that was. It was. Uh, it's even hard uh, to find words as many people who've had these experiences know the really your mind isn't operating in the same way. So yeah. the, the ways to describe it are hard, but, but what I can, you know, maybe convey is just this felt sense of the separate self falling away and uh, just enormous relief. And, and, um, and then, and then just the state of love, pure, pure love and being. And, and for someone who had, for me, I had a very action-oriented life. I was in a very masculine professional world. I was an athlete. I worked hard. I, you know, I, I did a lot of that meditated hard. You know, I had this much more masculine path. Um, it was really something to, or goal-oriented, I guess you could say. I, I, I really just let go, something let go. And... Um, and, and somewhere in the midst of that time, I, I, I later came to feel and know this experience as a, a presence of, as we could, I call this the, the Kuan Yin uh, essence or, or the, the goddess of compassion or some deep feminine presence, whatever image you want to attach to that. And somewhere in the midst of that time, which lasted for about two days, um, a question kind of came into me, which was, would I help to midwife? The, the the word was at that time, and I could probably say on this on your station, you know, the divine feminine on earth. Yeah. And uh, I, at the time, there really was, as I say, no mind to say yes or no. Just every cell in my body was, <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. here for that. Um, and <clears throat> later, when my separate self, my, my ego started to reconstruct itself, and I remembered my name and where I lived and various things. Um, this, I remembered this question, and I remembered what I had said yes to. And um, I had really no idea what that meant. I, I mean, to be honest, I didn't have an experience of the divine feminine. I didn't really even have that distinction inside of the spiritual path I was in. Um, and, but I knew I'd agreed to a path that was correct for me. I mean, that I'd said yes, because this was, it was something, this was right. And so I returned to Paris and within um, three months, even less, I had left my firm. Mm. I had kind of literally leapt off the cliff here uh, of the known world. And to, to follow that question, I opened a private practice in Paris. And I, I was in the investigation then of what does this mean? And I, it was only, it was just for women and it filled up in a nanosecond. Mm. Um, it was, there were so many women, I think this was the late, 90s that were right at that edge they'd gone as far as they could inside this masculine model they saw nothing else and it seemed like they it was like they were stuck between a rock and a hard place um but the last thing i'll just say about that was that i i uh i wasn't that far ahead of them you know i was trying to figure this out too like literally 
I was like one session ahead of my clients. Yeah. <laughs> trying to um, trying to figure out what the path was for women and 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 what did become clear uh, over the course of that year was that what we were dealing with what it was was going to be more than just changing a few behaviors that this you know we had as women myself included really become wired inside the I mean literally the brain uh, hardwired for these more masculine ways of being and that that was a necessary stage in our development but not sufficient for these times you know so that therefore this was going to take a little more than I had initially thought and that sent me back to graduate school to to try to understand women's development and you know assuming oh there have got to be people who figured this out and I'm just going <laughs> to read all the books and then I'm going to teach it and uh, you know that was not what I discovered it was that there were a few people that had well Carol Gilligan in particular who's at Harvard and studying women and development and looking at this, the very unique ways that women develop um, but, the, but that's what had me then, after my own studies, um, embed all my programs in a university so that the work and the research I was doing wouldn't end up being kind of ghettoized somehow, like women and women and whatever over there somewhere, but um, could actually be considered mainstream. So that's that kind of gets us through those first pieces. Is that, does that give you enough of a base here to start? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. And I'm like bursting as you're speaking because I don't want to interrupt you, but there are so many things I want to, I want to talk about that are offshoots of all that. So Please. what I will say is that, um, you know, in what you wrote about in the Mysterial woman, um, was based on 15 years of research in your university leadership programs. And that really laid out a pathway for women forward. But what I want to call to attention here, and I have a question about this you had this experience in Bali and then from that point forward, uh, you write on in, in the mysterious woman that it would be a nice story if we could say that everything clicked into place immediately, that we understood exactly how to set free this new woman. But it was, that was really far from the case. And I, I just would like you to speak to, if you would, wisdom, advice, encouragement for others who have a feeling of what they are here to do. You got the message that for you particularly, you were to be a midwife of the reemergence of the divine feminine. If someone else is feeling called towards something, it, my understanding is it doesn't all just magically click into place. What, yeah. what advice or wisdom do you have for folks who feel the call, but are encountering the challenges and it may take 20 years? Absolutely. Right. Well, first of all, I, I think I think being able to hear the call is super critical right now. I, I do feel, you know, sometimes I talk about this as women in the midst of a profound rite of passage. Yes. That we are literally giving birth to the next level of ourselves as a human species. Now this means that there, this is the developmental work that I did in, in the research, that it's not going backwards to something that was before. It's it's not just, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the sinking Titanic. It's actually making a move we haven't been we have, somewhere we haven't been before with capacities that have not been online before. So therefore, the and the call itself, let's say your own what I talk about is a deep dream. This this what's awakening in you, you could call it a call, um, is not going to 
potentially be shared by everybody. You know, it's not going to be the mainstream necessarily. Those of us that are on the edge of evolution are going to have these calls coming and they'll often come repetitively. It's like what the, many of the women that I work with, it's, it's, you know, initially a kind of quiet knock on the door and, you know, hey, what about uh, shifting out of this situation you're in right now? It's not really serving you. And then, well, not quite yet. I'm not quite ready. And then it's a little louder knock on the door with um, some other circumstance. And then sometimes it's, it's literally a grab <clears throat> saying, hey, something needs to shift here and you need to listen to this, to this deeper call. So I think the first thing is the preparing yourself to listen and trust what you sense that this deep dream in you is evolution's way of unfolding through you and you as part of the larger collective will have your own unique expression of that and that's the first thing mm -hmm. then uh yeah i think there is we then roll up our sleeves because it's like as i said last time i spoke with you you know the birthing metaphors when i when i use a lot of the times um there is going to be work and if you've given birth you know that that's there's that there's both the holding and containing the dream of this child that's that's got its own tensions and shifts and changes as you create space in yourself and in your womb for for new life but then there is the birth itself right which is hard and you have to be willing to bear down and be with that process and and i would say to any women who have you know, in the sense of when you've woken up to the call, something is happening inside you and you can feel it ripening. You can feel a call. You don't need to know yet exactly how you'll get there, but you do need to deepen a relationship with that future self that has the deep dream. You know, there are all this great work that's been done by many people in the last number of years, Lynn McTaggart being one, that where, you know, we can really see the potency of holding a clear intention and energizing that probability path while you do the difficult work of walking steadily toward that dream and trusting and this was very much true for me as i'll lay out in the, in the second more, more difficult or painful uh personal process when my husband died you know when you don't know how you'll get through this thing that that actually it's possible that the path will rise up underneath you if you trust that you're embedded in something larger that's unfolding um that you know it's not just your own you and this is i know a lot of women find enormous um, solace in our book or in when they hear me speak when i say you know the the discomfort you're feeling right now what if you knew that these were birth pains and not a sign that you made a mistake or you've gone the wrong direction or that you failed in some way um, but, but rather that you're you're waking up um, as as many women are actually around the globe and you are not alone and and actually you can't do this on your own it's it, this is not you're not going to be able to to do this midwifing of the next expression of yourself this more you know the, the what i call mysterious just as a name to describe this next level of ourselves as a species we actually need one another for that unfolding yes and and i also um or did i were you i don't want to jump in too fast yeah. 
Yeah. So I also think it's important. Um, I was going, as I mentioned, back through the mysterious woman and you have this beautiful chart going through the waves of human uh, evolution, basically. And I think we are so it is hard without seeing the entire map of those waves to know exactly why this moment in particular is so pivotal for women feeling this call, why you're feeling the call and where it's going. Do you want to address kind of the waves that we have experienced leading up to now? Because putting it in that context was just incredibly powerful for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I think I could say probably at the high level and, and you know, people could, could read more um, about this in, in the book, but just at the, at the larger level, we're not inventing that there are there have been these the six and now we're in the seventh waves of what, what are called uh, consciousness and culture. Um, historians, futurists all, all would agree there are these these waves that have moved over time, and they're very specific. They with each wave basically that comes in, there's more um, consciousness. You know, there's a little more a little more wider perspective. Therefore, a little more complexity possible and then different ways of leading different ways of structuring society there's all of that that happens and and you see the same thing by the way in terms of human development you know if, if you don't we're looking at the development of the human, human species you know in the larger arcs but but human development's the same if it all goes well you know we're we're moving from being a very tiny baby that comes out that can't do much and doesn't have much of a distinction from being one with mother to this, this the neuroscience that starts to wire the brain brain together and our other physiological functions that start to come online and you know all being well all going well the right conditions the enabling conditions around us uh, we we go through our natural development so so that's the same thing in culture and what we can see looking back everybody we we probably we all are aware let's say of the last five thousand years we can. You know, the recorded history covers a good chunk of that, so we have a sense of that. And those waves have been called more masculine waves, or at least that's how we see those waves. Um, there are several waves before that, about 50,000 years, of what we call a more uh, static feminine, more mother-like in, in a way, in this, even though you know there were certainly men in, in charge of various things, but there was a clan-based, earth-based um, uh, we, you know, this great womb, we are all part, we are all part of this together kind of consciousness. And then the, the first heroic wave came in around 5,000 years ago and various ex expressions of that, um, moved over the course of, of, uh, of those millennia. And each one, by the way, the way when when a new wave comes in, the thing to to probably name, and the same thing is true in our human development individually, is that um, the reason evolution occurs or this development occurs is that we run up against the limits of our our consciousness to deal with the situation that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean by that, I'm sure, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Like we just don't know how to to do that thing we just can't figure that thing out and so it's we've created a world that's sort of more complex than we are so you know evolution has kind of kicks in you know this we, we develop new capacities and, and that's what happens now 
every time that happens, when we're releasing one wave and we're making, we're kind of doing this upgrade, they're very chaotic times. They're unstable times. And they often, and if you look back over history, they, they can be a time of collapse in between the waves, you know, kind of a Middle Ages, or they could be a Renaissance time, uh, which is another phase between the waves, um, really depending on the, the enabling conditions, you know, what, the, what's there for this um, system, the larger system to sort of tilt toward a rebirth and not just a, a dying out. And we are in one of those phases now, which is probably the simplest way I can say it, where between the sixth and the seventh wave is starting to come in. What everyone would agree, however you decide to talk about it, whatever language you give it, what we can agree upon is um, this wave is, and it started to, to come in, um, there was a, a wave that kind of smashed on the shores in the, in the 60s. Um, this was the we call this a more dynamic feminine wave that was here to break up everything that had come before. So it was, you know, the, uh, the revolution, basically, women's liberation, sexual revolution, um, hippie movement, equal rights, like basically bucking everything yeah. that had been established for, for millennia, saying, hey, wait a minute, no, wait, we're going to push against this. Well, that was an important wave. It's like that was the first wave that hit the shore, but that was never meant to kind of stop there and and does and, and can't stop there. Right. Um, right. So the next the wave that we're in now, what we know that's coming and, and is starting there are those on the edge of evolution who you could say who are starting to bring this in, requires more than just the dynamic feminine pushing against this masculine paradigm that actually requires the feminine and the masculine, which is a quantum shift, you know, that's, that's like a leap up. So it's a consciousness that can hold both the deep feminine, all the, these various feminine ways of being, um, and the masculine ways of being and have those come together. And that was really our, what our, what our research, um, discovered because we, we, we know when you, you said, I and I went through this, just the hard work of the last number of years figuring this this out. Um, I had myself a very simplistic view of the feminine and masculine when we started into this, and and what began to reveal itself was was something really different. In other words, that there was a there was a more uh, still or static aspect of the feminine of ourselves, um, that and then there was a more dynamic aspect, and that those are quite different. And the same thing for the for the masculine, and we began to see a sequence um, arising. Like, how could you know that that could unlock this? It's like opening the birth canal in a certain way. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting for for because we didn't go looking for this, but but it's true that in genetics everything is is laid down in a sequence, and it's also all unlocked in a sequence. And we really were starting to see that. Um, what we were dealing with was deep down in the DNA, that this, some of these old ways of being were deeply coded in the body. Right. And we know, you know, from an evolution, from just the genetics, that all physical change comes because somewhere inside us, some sequence gets activated. Like, and, and even for cellular change, 
so this this level of deep in our cells, which is where we think the old codes are installed, um, the, the the RNA does this beautiful unzipping the DNA by running down this string of nucleotides in a sequence. Right. And so, you know, evolution spontaneously unlocks itself in a sequence like that. We we were starting to see this happen, and then um, we start we realized, wow. What if this pathway that we've kind of decoded here, certainly not invented, because it's how culture moved also. The same pattern was how cultures moved over time. What if we that is the sequence we need to go down to unlock this next level of our potential? Oh, yeah. That yeah. was a big aha. Yes, and I think that's a good point for us to take our break, and we can pick up when we come back. Um, I am joined today by Suzanne Anderson, um, and of course, the book that um, we are currently discussing, or the some of it is from the Mysterial, the Way of the Mysterial Woman: Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. Um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. Uh, I'm your host, Sunny Joy, and we will be back in just a few to continue the conversation um, about the work that Suzanne has continued to do and the book that she is currently writing and how. How it is applicable to challenging times, both both personally and collectively. Uh, we'll see you in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that the greatest gifts and synchronicities of my life happened when I started listening to the voice of my soul and let it take the lead. But in a crazy culture and a chaotic world, it can often be difficult to hear that soul voice. And we forget just how powerful that spiritual being inside you really is. Which is why I created Soul Digger, a membership community for women and those who identify as women who want to live a soul-driven life. We meet virtually to learn, connect, share, grow, and inspire one another on our spiritual journey. Find out more at my website, goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com and click on the tab that says work with me. So come get shamelessly spiritual with us in the Soul Digger community where we mine the true gold that comes from your soul. I'm Dr. Anthony Lajewitz and this is Climate Connections. Instead of trucking vegetables across the country, One company wants to help food service providers grow food right where they are, no matter how little experience or land they have. That's at corporate campuses, that's at university campuses, healthcare facilities. Brad McNamara is CEO of Freight Farms, which sells what it calls the greenery. It's a 320-square-foot shipping container, like you would see on a boat, a train, a truck, outfitted with an automated growing system to grow about three and a half acres worth of produce with no pesticides, no herbicides, and about 98.5% less water. Inside the greenery, plants grow vertically with their roots in a nutrient solution instead of soil. Sensors, pumps, and LED lights automatically maintain ideal growing conditions, so you don't have to be an expert to start farming. You plug it in, and you're growing same day. As the climate changes and the world's population grows, McNamara says it makes sense to farm in a way that produces more food with fewer resources and less transportation. Where instead of making more bigger farms, make hundreds, then thousands, then millions of people into independent, successful farmers where they live and work. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org.
Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by return guest Suzanne Anderson, psychologist, executive leadership coach, international speaker, and co-author of The Way of the Mysterial Woman. And during the break, um, Suzanne and I were talking about, you know, you've got your bliss events, um, which, of course, she had one in Bali, but then you've also got the 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 painful events, the catalytic dark triggers that can really help us root out the, 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 everything that is deep down in our being so that we can move forward. And, um, and you know, it really wouldn't be, you know, Star Wars wouldn't be the, the franchise that it was if it was all just bliss. We like to go to the dark places and come back from them. So Suzanne, why don't you take it from here and just, I loved where we went on our break. Yeah, great. Thank you. And actually you reminded me of the first quote at the beginning of our book, um, which is from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is probably worth just saying here. Yes. When you, so the, the quote is, when you are transformed, the world will be transformed, for you are the world, and the world is you. Yes. It's so poignant. Um, and it and it really, in some ways, it combines the, the first experience for me, which is this experience of tremendous union with the world, and the second, which was this brutal um, tsunami that happened in my life, the transformative force that kind of came in and smashed everything in a very short period of time. Um, but when I'll just say that uh, I was in, I was in, what did I say, the, the perfect life, for, for that's way to say it. Um, I, Met my my beloved um, was my second marriage and and really felt like my whole life had been a journey of moving toward him, mm-hmm. um, and he felt the same and so we were it was a delicious uh, union together uh, and that was that was already a blessing. We lived on an island um, near Seattle and had a beautiful estate with. Um, it was a kind of a retreat center that we we did Zen retreats on and many other things. That he had he was an importer of Indonesian antiques, mm. and uh, also brought these amazing buildings from Indonesia. So temples and our, our property was like this this uh, sanctuary, separate world really. Wow. And 
I really, my work was growing and developing, and uh, we had finished the manuscript of the first book, really knew what was going to happen. We were getting ready to send it out into the world. And um, the October, David died in, in, uh, in January, and in October, um, he began experiencing this tinnitus, uh, which is the ringing in the ears, this kind of cacophony, a crazy ringing. If you, do you know tinnitus? Are you familiar with that? I'm familiar with what it is. I have never experienced it. No, it is apparently at the level he was experiencing it. It can be very crazy making. It's it's just mm -hmm. never ending, and there are no cures. There's no cure at this time anyway that is known. So you have to basically learn to live with it. So he wasn't sleeping very well. There were various factors um, in his life that way. Um, but then, as I would discover later, he also, his business was also in, in the midst of a financial collapse. Mm. And, and so I think, I think his own personal shame was very much a part of this experience. Um, but, but I make this distinct, you know, I did not live with a depressed man for 13 years at all. Um, this really, for me, came out of the blue. And, uh, and so one day, literally right before the wedding of his niece, so two days before the wedding of his niece, um, who was marrying his best friend from Indonesia's son, Mm. All these guests were here from Indonesia. Um, something happened, and you know we don't know what. I mean, this is, of course, the thing you don't know with with suicide. Although he did, he did write uh, beautiful letters, which was helpful. But something snapped inside, um, and and he and he took his life. Well, I came home from work that day, and um, you know, in a process I, I won't go into here, but. I will write about it, and I do write about it in my second book, found him. And, um, you know, I, I, it would be hard to describe for anyone who hasn't experienced something like that what uh, fully, but the, the, um, the raw and, and shattering experience of finding someone you love uh, dead. And that really, you know, if I go back to the, maybe um, can think of it like, uh, I'll use the myth, the myth that, that is in my current, my first book, which is the Persephone Demeter myth, where the core Persephone is pulled into the underworld by Hades and, you know, this uh, learns ultimately um, through her journey in the underworld to to embrace what's there and eats the pomegranate seeds. If you know this myth, do you, are you familiar with the myth? It's been a while since I have, yeah. probably since I read your book last and I didn't go back over that part. Yeah. No, it's, it's a Greek myth. And it's it just tells the story, I think the story for women today, which is, you know, the, of not resisting going into the underworld when you when you are pulled and, and eating of the, the fruit of the dark times, ultimately, Persephone becomes queen of the upper world and queen of the underworld. Um, but uh, a mythologist who lives locally and lived on my island, Michael Mead, you may be familiar with his writing. Yes, yes. As a friend, and he, he came over the next day, and I remember the conversation where he, he sat with me, and he said, well, remember that you are Queen Persephone. 
I, my work has been, had already been for 10, 12 years, taking women consciously into their embodied experience. You could say into the underworld, into their, into the, their bodies and their hearts. Um, and I did that in a ritual process that we marked. So he said, you are Queen Persephone. You know how to be in the underworld. And now some of us will stay here on the upper world. You need to go. Mm. And I remember in that moment, this, um, letting go, like really letting go. And uh, that, that is a key piece. I think I want to just underline for anyone who's in the midst of some breaking down in their lives. And, you know, by the way, this is a lot of women. And I know this now because I've spoken many conferences, worked with many hundreds of women. And I ask women, you know, in the audience, how many of you are in the midst of some breaking down in some way of what you took for, you know, your stable life, whatever that would be, either your relationship, your job is changing, your parents are something, you know, you're dealing with parent dying issues, your own health has been challenged, Um, your house, you know, so your house is changing, you know, all of these outer structures and all two thirds of, you know, the audience puts up their hands. But we know this is going on, and as I said earlier, just to normalize it, that this shaking up is part of what needs to happen now. But how we respond to what happens is is the key here, is, is everything. Um, and for me, that's that willingness to surrender into the uncertainty, into the mystery, which is part of where the word mysterial comes from, by the way, you know, that ability to be with the mystery, to trust the mystery, mm-hmm. that this unfolding of, for your life or even for the world is beyond your mind. Your mind is actually quite limited in that way. It's useful, we can use it, but it, it can't see everything because it sees things often based on the past and the future can be very, very different. So, you know, that willingness for me are in that moment to to go into the uncertainty, you know, not resist. This is one of the key things I think I want to say is, is not resist what's actually happening. Um, it's, it's a, I guess it's a mysterious principle that I, I always taught for years, but I had to really deeply live in when enormous amount was at stake for me, you know, it wasn't like I was saying, and I'd been teaching this for years, you know, encouraging people to just be with whatever was happening in their lives because it's happening. It's like the first thing is you have to be with it. You have to actually stop resisting what's really there. What does that actually look like though, Suzanne, like for you on a day-to-day human life basis, what does not resisting look like? Right. Well, in that moment, you know, uh, actually what, you know, I can use a really current, as you said, in my my current life, I just um, had the experience of working this in a very intense way because I was away on a ski holiday last week, and uh, on the third day of seven, I the very silly accident, um, but I ended up uh, really injuring my knee, mm-hmm. an MCL tear, probably an ACL tear. I mean, a serious injury. Mm. And this is like my holiday once a year, my family meet me, you know, I'm in this skiing is the thing I do. I've done all my life. It's my freedom. It's my 
belonging. It's like everything. And I had this whole week, I saw the whole dream of it, you know, there just shattered. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the loss goes through the stages, first of all, of denial. You know, this can't really be happening. I'm sure I can walk. I'll be walking fine tomorrow. It's going to be great. I'll be back on the hills, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the first stage. And so, but really being with it, like I saw the denial. I saw, yep, you don't want this to be true, but you're not going to stay there. Then the anger, and really being with the the anger, like this really pissed me off. Like letting myself feel what I felt without attaching, yet as a place I needed to hang out or make somebody wrong or me wrong or life wrong. It's like, yep, I'm angry, but that's just pure anger. I feel this right now. And then the wave of grief, like the loss. And then I just, you know, let myself really sob at various, when these waves would move, I'd let myself really be with the feeling. Like, yes, this is enormous loss. I'm not trying to pretend it wasn't. I'm not attaching either to the grief like I've got to stay there mm-hmm. or the, attaching to the vision I had of what this could be, which is gone. You know, it, it was like in my, in my, the, the, uh, the acceptance in the, my actual situation when David died so, so suddenly was when that turn for me came and Michael said that, and I said, I'm going, it was as much as I could to not resist the reality the and the reality was for me that that takes a kind of uh, you know what I call an inner operating system because we're kind of structured not to accept reality a lot of the time yeah. you know to just to want to override it my my old approach was override there was like the hero would rise up and do what she had to do and um, the heroic part of me, part of which was healthy, but part of which was not, was gone. And I could just be with what is. Within six months, I lost everything. I had to sell the estate. I closed David's business. I you know, left my island. I, my cat died. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, it, it, sometimes I talk about this like a, a Tibetan sand painting, you know, that the Tibetan monks make so meticulously for months. Yeah. And then, and they're just exquisite grain of sand by grain of sand. And then at the end, they just sweep it off. It was like mm-hmm. my whole life as I knew it was swept away. And the question I was in, and I literally was in it, I was, was for the first time I was not certain that all of my years of teaching and understanding and growing and therapy and meditation were actually going to hold up, that I could be homeless on the side of the road. I didn't know. I really didn't know. But this deep faith um, a deep certainty, I guess, an uncertainty that that I would get through this, that's true, but a certainty that I would, and, and faith in what I call the way of the mystery woman, that I would walk this in the way that I knew to walk, this way that I'd been teaching for years. And if it held up, it held up. If it didn't, it didn't. Like I would either learn to see in the dark and I would see, or or I wouldn't. Um, so, so that's, that's, you know, it was kind of the, it's like a, a pure commitment and a begin commitment to the process that, that had just been, you know, opened up before me and a willingness to, um, to really accept what's happening to me 
and allow it to transform me, just like that quote from Mary Magdalene, if it would, you know. Yes. So, well, I want to make sure we mention just real quickly as we're getting close to the end of the hour um, that you will be back at East West Bookshop on Friday, April 10th for an evening talk entitled Walking the Way of the Mysterial Woman in Challenging Times. And then if you want a little bit a uh, little bit deeper dive, there is a workshop on Saturday, April 11th to help women uh, move with their challenges, just like we're talking about right now, these personal and collective challenges. So moving with their challenges and triggers as evolutionary forces, encouraging growth, awakening your deep dreams, pointing you towards your purpose. Um, so that, of course, uh, you can go to eastwestbookshop.com to find out more. And uh, I will also just mention Suzanne's website again, which is mysterialwoman.com. And uh, Mysterial is spelled M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L. So mysterialwoman.com. Um, you know, we've got about oh, two or three minutes left, Suzanne. And I, as usual, I've got plenty of questions I can ask. Is there anything that we didn't touch on today or that you want to bring in before we wrap up? I think the thing, you know, I, I think there is something which is this move up toward your direct experience that I was just starting to touch on here. That, mm-hmm. and as you and I were talking about in the break, you know, it, it's not necessarily going to be easy. So there is something I always say, which is welcome discomfort. Like mm-hmm. right now, those of us that see ourselves, and this relates to where we started our conversation around this call inside that's waking up, the deep dreams waking up. We see ourselves as evolutionary agents, as you know, on this frothy edge right now. We, we're, we're bringing something new. For those of us that, that are living there, it's it's rough, it's humble, <laughs> you know, it's not easy. Right. But but what we can say is, future generations are going to be grateful for for those of us that actually do this work the way. To, to really be in your situation the way it is with self-compassion. And I think women have, we've left ourselves out of the equation for far too long. And so self-compassion, I think, is where I want to end here. That, you know, a kind of kindness turned toward the self that lets us be with our direct experience that actually allows us to say, this is no longer working for me like this in this job with this person with this way of life with this belief system you know this is not working for me now and and it's painful and rather than medicating the suffering which is unfortunately what happens a lot of the time numbing ourselves out in various ways so there's a simple self-compassion practice which i could end with if you'd like yes we've got about 30 seconds and that's it (laughs) so basically just be able to say to yourself, and this is, and when you get on my mailing list, I'll send you this. This is a moment of suffering. This is hard right now. I like to put my hands right over my heart. We all struggle in our lives. I am not alone. May I hold myself with tenderness in this moment. May I be kind to myself in this moment. May I be compassionate with myself in this moment. The simple practice you can do, and it's actually a beautiful, soothing way to um, to take you through the difficult moments in your own transformative growth. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that practice and for everything you shared today, Suzanne. Um, and uh, you've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Suzanne Anderson. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.